westward west to northern and south. Come spend time in the cosmic salon. I'm niche, niche, niche. And I'll be your companion as we slip into the middle. Relax and sink in with an Here we are with another Cosmic Salon, and I have a very special guest that Meredith booked for me, and I have been binging her YouTube channel and very much enjoying the deep research. So you all know how much I appreciate people that go very deep with the research and start making the connections and unwinding new narratives sometimes to old stories. And that's very much what Dana of Rotting Jewels does. And it's just a pleasure to sit in on her live streams, especially. She's very friendly to the chat. She's no nonsense and no fuss and does an exceptional job. So with that, We'll find out who Dana is and what's going on over there at Rotting Jewels when we pull her in. So, Dana, welcome to the Cosmic Salon. Thank you so much, and I love your intro music. It's such a vibe. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I had fun making it. Um, so, I, as I said to you prior in, in this intro, I really love the work you're doing and it seems like it's finally the time for people to do these kinds of re-examinations of some of these old stories that may seem stale in a weird way. They're not stale, but they may seem stale because people just kind of let them go. And we get little bits of them coming here and there. But there are some people out there like you that are picking this up again, these tidbits and going, wait, something with these old narratives isn't right. And these things over here seem to be connected to those things over there. You have quite a talent for this. And currently, you're talking about the Church of Scientology. You're talking about the process. You're talking about Tavistock. I mean, I love all this stuff. So let's back up and get an idea, a small miniature portrait of who you are and what got you started into all this and why are you so inspired? Because I feel a sense of inspiration from you. So who are you, Dana? So I'm a registered nurse. That is my day job. And otherwise, I like to paint, uh, oil paint, long walks on the beach, all that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really who I am. I mean, this is really my passion. I'm a big history nerd and I started on Instagram and that was really where people started reaching out to me and wanting me to come on and talk about some of the stuff that I was doing. That was when I started discussing uh, specifically the Franklin scandal, just because a lot of people don't know what that is. And I feel like that is a story that gets overlooked outside of, you know, sort of conspiracy circles. Um, and so that I started 
you know, talking to and meeting some very talented researchers and authors, uh, specifically with what I'm working on now, as you probably saw in my feed, uh, the chunk of my initial streaming was on the False Memory Syndrome Foundation because that is kind of still the root of all of this at the end of the day. Um, but yes, as you said, right now it is not only the Church of Scientology, but the X community. And I say X very loosely. Um, and then reevaluating some things that possibly purposely overlooked or maybe not. Uh, I'm trying to lay out the argument for people for them to determine for themselves. Um, and I also think just in the day and age where, and it's not me trying to feed into some sort of fear narrative, but you know, it is as easy as them turning off a switch. This information needs to get out there and people need to see it with their own eyes, hear it, look at it. That's why I think it's so important to pull it up for people to look and see it for themselves and then make their own determination. I agree. And I think for people that feel like everything could have been said has been said, I think they're wrong because the time period we're in right now is really something special in that the deeper truths are actually coming out now, whether there's an astrological component to it, whether people's bullshit meters have finally gotten to the point where they can look at these and we'll, I'm going to say it, false memories that were indoctrinated into them, or whether enough people now have come together to create a more awareness, if you will, in the actual zeitgeist of it all. So let's jump in here with uh, SMS. So false memory syndrome, could you bring people up to speed on what that is? I, this show, I like to address things for people at all levels sure and i try to do the same because i think it's unfair to assume that uh, someone that's watching knows what i'm talking about so false memory syndrome i'm sure many people have heard of it um it isn't and wasn't ever a syndrome uh it was brought into the vernacular with the creation of the false memory syndrome foundation that was created in 1992 by Pamela and Peter Freyd. Uh, their daughter, Jennifer Freyd, who still has not recanted her statement to this day, uh, in her early adult years had repressed memories, which are real, come back to her about some very horrific abuse from her father. And Miss Pamela Freyd just could not... Uh, let the world know what her dear husband did. And so she literally created an organization, a charity, because it did get charity tax-exempt status. Um, and in the first flyer, because I found the physical first copy that they mailed out, because they would send out, uh, at first it was bi-monthly, and then it was just monthly, a circular. And in this circular... She says, how do we know that we're not in the business of representing pedophiles? And she gives two reasons. And the first reason is they have graying hairlines. They look like nice people. And you would want to be friends with them. 
And her second reason is a polygraph test that they know deep in their hearts that they should not have to take. And that's the two reasons. It's mind-boggling, quite frankly. The more all this stuff comes forward, the more dumbfounded I feel. I mean, what is going on with the IQ of people in the world around us, in the world we grew up in? Okay, so let's back up and let's look at some of the details here. Uh, As you've been showing us, these things are kind of interwoven, all these things that seem separate to people, general people out in the outer world are actually, there's connections here. So we know there's connections with obviously L. Ron Hubbard and um, the Babylon Project and what was that series they did on him? Was it Secret Angel or? um, Someone told me about it in my chat and I haven't watched it, but I think you're right. I think it's like, Dark Angel or Secret Angel, something like that. Yeah, I didn't see that it actually finished. It, like, dropped off on season one. But, you know, these connections with Crowley and Aquino, Church of Satan, Temple of Set, the Propulsion Society's scientists, uh, Scientology, these this Pet Foundation, the Animal Friends Society, All this stuff is intertwined, and it appears, of course, from the outer world that it's not until you start digging. And then there's the expose that Leah Rimini that you've been talking about did that seems to leave a lot of this stuff hanging. So when you first started to get your chomps into all this and started pulling together some really impressive research, which is why you're here, because you're just really good at this, what were these wow moments that started to come over you? What were you thinking? What are you thinking about this now, where you are this deep into the research? So I want to clarify um, just so that people are aware where I'm coming from because I try to be as transparent with my audience or anyone that I'm talking to as possible. So this specific area that I'm working on now. This began because I was doing a sort of project uh, for the ex-Scientology community on YouTube. I put together a presentation and it was going to involve the False Memory Syndrome Foundation and discussing their board members. There were some issues within the ex-Scientology community and Obviously, I have now uncovered some very direct uh, CIA doctor ties there. So that was the crux of it all. And I personally allegedly uh, would categorize uh, Ms. Remini as a disinformation agent. Um, These are just what what I've uncovered thus far. Um, I think that a lot of people that we see within the public eye are disinformation agents. That has really been my biggest wow moment uh, because I'm currently working with two whistleblowers that no one has heard of that have come out of the Church of Scientology. And there's a reason why no one has heard of them. And that's why when I have an opportunity in my streams I like to remind people of individuals like Gary Webb, Gary Caradori, and Danny Casolaro, 
you know, three gentlemen who did pay the ultimate price to expose uh, true wickedness and nefariousness within certain institutions. Outside of that, as far as my research itself, reevaluating specifically, I think the uh, the Babylon working and making the argument, and I think I have a strong argument, and I'm not done that Elbron Hubbard is Michael Aquino's father. Uh, it's been quite interesting to make the intelligence connections between everybody, including Elbron Hubbard uh, and the Process Church. I think that. What I am looking at is a massive effort on every side to purposely ignore the intelligence ties. One of the things I'm very interested in these days, because I think we all need to be, so it's something I've been aware of all along, but as we're starting to move deeper into wanting to understand all of this stuff and ties that are happening behind the scene that happened behind the scene, especially when we tie back into Tavistock and all that, is that there are a lot of assets through CIA and three-letter agencies and governments. And uh, we're here in the USA, so we're, you know, this is where we're speaking to, but my listenership's everywhere. So, Going back with the Jack Parsons stuff and the Babylon working, I think all that stuff remained in kind of the cool, groovy underground scene, right? Along with the Process Church. And the the Process Church had this kind of, um, amongst occultists out there, this kind of hipster vibe. And... I will admit, I know, I don't know that much. I'm definitely very surface level on it. But one of the things I did know is that it seemed like all the cool kids that knew everything would talk about the process church. And it always, I don't know, it just was interesting to me. So I want to kind of jump and then look at that for a minute with you and bring this to light because I think that the more we start looking at some of these things that appeared to be groovy and uh, occultish hip and uh, underground are a little deeper tied into things that I consider nefarious altogether. And today in your live stream, I enjoyed that um, what you said about Genesis P. Orridge of Psychic TV and all that, that you don't really see anything there. Because, you know, I've always enjoyed Genesis on a, on you know, like some of that, um, I don't know. I could go into it in my past because I'm a different person than I was. And I didn't understand for a long time how any of this was tied into stuff that ultimately we're talking about very bad things with children and all this stuff. So let's look at, let's start here with Jack Parsons and all that, which ties us into the OTO and all this. Yes. So, you know, with Jack Parsons, uh, you know, he was OTO and adored Crowley and had a lot of communication with Crowley. And when the Babylon working started, you know, because this is where we start to see things go south as far as the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So it's all kind of happening at the same time. But with Jack Parsons specifically, because I 
I'm making the argument, but I just don't believe that he and Hubbard were, you know, it was a random stroke of fate. Uh, how many coincidences does it take until it's a conspiracy? But they do the Babylon working, and this is where we see the beginning of Jack Parsons' demise. And I remind people, he was incredibly intelligent. Why is he so written out of NASA history? A lot of people don't know who he is. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of bizarre. And I don't know if it's because of the OTO Crowley sort of occult angle. But at the end of the day, we never would have been able to launch a single rocket without Jack Parsons. So I think that's crazy. And as far as... The Babylon working itself, I haven't fully dug into Marjorie Cameron, which she is presented as the Babylon woman. Uh, she does have intelligence ties. They are primarily MI5 and MI6. Um, so I think that she targeted him, and I do think that Hubbard targeted him as well. Uh, I think that they both knew what was ultimately coming for Mr. Parsons, unfortunately. Now, something interesting that I, you know, discovered or uncovered, I guess you could say, looking through all of the uh, FBI files in relation to the, uh, you know, the Suicide Squad or the Rocket Boys, as I call them, uh, is Mr. Frank Molina, who started the Aerojet Stock Corporation with Jack Parsons. Um, so they were both working on the, it was the... I think it was the Warmocked. I think that's what it's called. It's one of the rockets. Um, so that was Frank's baby, Mr. Molina's baby. Well, right around the time, I would say less than a year before Parsons passed away, they all start ratting on each other. And you can see all of this documentation where everybody's kind of ratting on everybody. What had happened was Jack Parsons took paperwork specifically in regards to the components of the rocket fuel as well as engines because he was seeking employment in Israel and Frank Molina he was being questioned why didn't you notice that these very vital documents to the U.S. government were missing he didn't really have a good answer well Mr. Molina literally runs away and goes and works for UNESCO uh, I won't get into UNESCO because I feel like that's a separate rabbit hole. However, he ends up marrying a woman there. And the reason why he is important is because Ghislaine Maxwell's sister ends up marrying Frank Molina's son, Roger. And they are very interesting and I will be covering them at another time. But that's just another very interesting intelligence tie because Robert Maxwell was very successful at that time. So I don't find any of that coincidental. As far as Mr. Parsons, uh, you know, as everybody knows, when things with him and Hubbard fell out and he and Mr. Molina were having, you know, difficulties with the finances of the Aerojet Stock Corporation, he then uh, lost his life in an explosion. I did a little episode on that where we all kind of took a guess. I think that we figured it out, and it might have to do with where he was seeking his employment. Uh, but nonetheless, I do believe that he was absolutely murdered. Um, and I think that they 
have, I say they, you know, whoever they are, have used his interest in uh, the occult specifically to bolster writing him out of NASA history, which is quite unfortunate. Yes, I mean, they even, it used to be Jack Parsons, and now it's Jet Propulsion. (laughs) Yeah. How convenient that was. Dana, I agree with you. I always thought that was suspect, even before receipts started to come in and people started to really question it. I thought he was murdered. This connection with Maxwell is stunning. And the more we learn about her and Epstein and stuff, it's just this web is is intricate and very sad because yes. the stuff that's really going on, I think the the public is not quite prepared to hear about the stuff that's really going on, which I have um, tried to bring to light with some of the work I've done that it they want it to stop at a certain level, but they don't want you to know that there are women and children in cages that never learn to read or write. They have no names. They're basically lab animals for sport and for SS Mangala style experiments and stuff like that. There's stuff on that level of nasty that is going on currently. And yes. uh, this is where people want to check out so all this work that you and others are doing is very important because this network is gigantic and it's been around us a long time uh marjorie cameron from iowa was um considered the scarlet lady the scarlet woman and tied deeply into these circles now on the surface and there you know i actually really enjoyed her for a long time and i'm from iowa myself but, uh, you know, looking at her as an artist, I'm like, oh, she's really cool. And her poetry and watching her come on stage barefoot as an old woman and just, you know, showing herself as an old woman with ratty hair and reading great poetry and all that. You could see the character in her that was possibly attractive to an agency that would want to use her as an asset. And this all ties into false memories implanted, but we go back further into Tavistock and into the MK Ultra uh, personality generating devices and all this. So let's jump back. So now here we are, we're looking at this, but let's jump back and talk about Tavistock and how important Tavistock's role is in everything that we are experiencing to this day still. Absolutely. I think that there's also a lot of misinformation out there about Tavistock and I wouldn't chalk it up to nefarious individuals you know it's they're so the information's so hard to find and so i think that people want to make connections and i just tell people i'm honest with them when i can't uh, but there are still things that these authors can point out that are relevant but the birth of tavistock the earliest that i could find them in the old newspaper archives was back in 1921 um and so the, the Tavistock model, the Tavistock method, what this was, was essentially these doctors using World War I and the 
uh, war neuroses or shell shock. That's where these terms came from. And that was the first diagnosis was from William Sargent of Tavistock. Um, and this is where, unfortunately, we see these people come together and lay out in their own words. I've shown people, we read an entire book on one of my streams. Um, we see their plans to use what they call the shaping of psychiatry by war. And in one of their writings by J.R. Reese, in this book specifically, and in a speech that he uh, later gave at the New York Mental Hygiene Annual Meeting, they talk about how welfare is a weapon. They plan on using the social system as far as the court, uh, you know, the community care, whatever that may be, because they want this to go global and how they want to use psychiatry to infiltrate and control all of society. Um, and it's, it sounds completely insane, and it sounds like this crazy conspiracy theory, but they put it in their own words. They literally say welfare is a weapon, and they talk about how they need to infiltrate every level of government, and it is good that they need to do it. These people can't resist putting these things in writing you know i feel like they are such narcissistic megalomaniacs that they just love to read their own words but this is what the tavistock did and i you know outside of certain groups most people don't know who tavistock is but you see them use so in wartime a, a different example would be the the bonds the stocks and bonds during wartime and that was an experiment that was run by them. Uh, and the study's a bit drab, but they talk about how putting certain movies into certain places and certain theaters and what type of people would come and how they could manipulate that. And if those people were willing to donate blood to the Red Cross afterwards um, and kind of gauging what, you know, how they can manipulate the media, the propaganda in that way and discussing how people how they can manipulate your emotions within a group setting and how they can more successfully over time go from a small amount of individuals to a large group. So Tavistock, I always think psychiatry and group control or what some people would call social engineering because that is what it is. These people state in their own words as far back as 1930 uh that that is their plan is to uh create society in their image and you're looking around at all that i want to kind of stay here for a minute and separate some of the stuff because everyone does want to say tavistock to everything and I, I appreciate that you're like well we should look at the receipts see what we can find and let's separate this out. What are some of the misdirects you see with it that gets thrown onto Tavistock where you can't find a thread that connects something to something? So as far as the specific books, so, okay, here's a good example. This is the main, because I broke off of my Tavistock series to do this, but this was one where I said, okay, this individual is so important and I had never heard of them, 
but I cannot trace these people to Tavistock whatsoever. And that is Lord Northcliffe. So he was the top British propagandist at the time, and he worked for one of the largest publishing houses in Britain, and it was specifically a propaganda publishing house. And in all the books that you find, conspiracy books about Tavistock, uh, they say that that's where he is from. I can find zero publication. However, it is a good example of how pre-war Britain sent him over and there's all these orders and meetings where they say in the UK, we say nothing bad about the Americans because they're trying to get us to buy into the war. And that's what he came over and did. They funded everything. He ended up setting up shop in New York and he actually is, I think it is the daily mail in the UK and the daily telegraph. I mean, this guy owned some of the biggest newspapers that are still around to this day in the UK. But I couldn't trace them to Tavistock at all. Yeah. The names that you can trace that are, that are valid are usually names that people don't know. So we have uh, Hugh Crichton Mills. He is the Tavistock doctor. He is the baseline for it. Why is he interesting? Even though most people haven't heard of him, his book, and his specialty is hypnotism and disease. Mm. And again, an inflated sense of self, this gentleman says, uh, there's, there's nobody out here who's doing this, but I demand that this be done, that we implement this into medicine. And this is where we start seeing the sort of weaponization of hypnosis with psychiatry, a.k.a. mind control, MK, whatever people want to call it. Um, and then J.R. Reese, like I said, The Shaping of Psychiatry by War. Uh, Dr. William Sargent, uh, he's the first person that diagnosed shell shock or war neuroses. Uh, he wrote Battle, Battle for the Mind. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I recently found out that L. Ron Hubbard had his book on his personal bookshelf, <laughs> even at a time when Tavistock was way more obscure than it is now. So, oh, geez, you know, I mean, it's these little nuggets that are so profound now that that just blow my mind sometimes. Like, of course, L. Ron Hubbard had that book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. who would have known? I mean, I didn't know this. So when we're looking at Tavistock and we're looking at what was going on there in this period, so we're looking at 1921, we're looking at um, the Weimar Republics and getting, you know, it's having its situation go on and all this stuff that's starting to rumble around the world and at this point, I think safely Hollywood had started to realize the great power they had with the new talkies, right? The new talking motion pictures and how they could shape people's ideas of the world around them. And, of course, we had great things come out of the late teens and 20s of Hollywood that we couldn't have today it's so blatant but then it was somehow part of this movement that made the tw the roaring 20s right become so crazy mm -hmm. and wild everywhere and 
in Berlin and France and, you know, New York and, and L.A. So we've got the the burgeoning idea of modern technology. We've got things like Metropolis coming forward and the beginning of what is now the transhumanist movement and you know metropolis really to me is like the corner jewel for the main main characters of how that plays out as far as a movie being a character because it it brought in this idea to masses of people now so when we're looking at tavistock at this period and new technology coming out through hypnotism they're working with a lot of mesmerism and electronics and radio waves. Have you dug into all that to see what was going on? Because this becomes very important with how the stuff we get mo- more into modern, into the process with LSD and um, all the different terminologies they use and the stuff that Leah Rimini was talking about with the... Uh, the machines they'd hook you up to and all that stuff that came out with her. Did you see any of this in the early Tavistock stuff? So as far as they focused primarily, the main thing with Tavistock as far as psychiatry outside of these specific doctors, primarily Hugh Crichton Mills, As far as hypnotism and drugs and things of that nature, their main thing is the moving from the individual to the group. So that's the sort of idea or end game for them is people thinking in group think versus the individual. And uh, unfortunately, you know, as you read more and more of these people, you start to catch the sort of eugenic vibe of everything And sometimes they will blatantly say it. And you mentioned transhumanism. Well, as you know, some people may know, you know, Mr. Julian Huxley is the person who coined that term. uh, And he was working for UNESCO. He was the first original director of UNESCO, which Gisling's sister's father-in-law ran to work to while Julian Huxley was there. Uh, So that's just an interesting little chestnut. But I don't think that the timing is irrelevant because Tavistock didn't really pop off pre-war. This was really them looking at the First World War and going, okay, now we know how to weaponize these things. And after the Second War, I find it fascinating and slightly insulting that, you know, you have Julian Huxley coming out in the white paper for UNESCO, the United Nations Education, Science, and Culture Organization, talking about how the goal of UNESCO, because people are not politically ready or psychologically ready, but that their goal is to create an acceptable eugenic policy. That is their main purpose. And you also have at the same time in 1946, if they're a couple months apart, You have the Rockefeller Foundation Commission. They have their meeting and they're talking about the exact same thing. So we have this emergence of, you know, the sort of post-war world where the Rockefeller Foundation Committee is lying, in my opinion, and stating that science made no progress, despite what the public may say during the war. 
ignoring that they have, you know, Nazi sympathizers on their board, including John Foster Dulles and John J. McCloy. And you also have Mr. Julian Huxley, you know, talking about this eugenic policy. Uh, I think between those two and realizing that they can perpetually feed the war machine uh, to advance their technology, I think that that's where we see this sort of uh, synchronicity of everything coming together is post-World War II. That's when it all truly came together for them. So let's talk about war. It seems to me, looking back at World War One and World War Two and the interim between them, and then the fallout into the nuclear family and all this stuff, I don't want to get lost in all of it, but war as an engine of social change more so than a real situation of one country standing up for humanitarian goodness and and the benefit of everyone. How does that play here? Because I think people are now are starting to understand with the folly going on, the tomfoolery going on right now that's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, when a, when a world can come together and lock everyone down, when they can share space in Antarctica and be fine and all this other stuff, but they're warring over here. What is the I, industry of war and how did we see it really come together between World War One and World War Two? Because everything you're talking about really highlights that. I think that after World War One and, you know, we have the Weimar, they're worse for wear, obviously, especially, uh, you know, with inflation financially and our people were over there, John Foster Dulles, Alan Dulles, John J. McCloy, uh, you know, they went over there and they locked in the nickel and steel deals for the right. So we helped fund that whole thing. People uh, tend to forget or overlook just how bad things ended up in the Weimar financially. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, where did all of that technology and artillery come from? It didn't come out of thin air. But I believe that, especially when you read some of this stuff from Tavistock, as far as, and they say it themselves, not only from doctors in Tavistock, they say it in the Rockefeller Foundation Commission, talking about a new world, a new world order. People hear that language and uh, they kind of have an aversion to it. And I understand to an extent but when you see it for yourself and you see how old these papers are and they say it over and over again, uh, yes, it war, the machine is to create the environment or society that they want. That's what it's for. And I think it's interesting that you pointed out about Antarctica because I did a, you know episode about this Explorers Club which L. Ron Hubbard was a part of, one of the earliest members, and it's still around to this day, and it's an elitist club. And we just decided to pull up a recent news article because I found one. And in January, this coming January, they are starting a cruise, and it is a floating lab. And where are they going? They're going to Papua New Guinea, the North Pole, and Antarctica. 
but yet we have climate change going on, right? <laughs> so how much gasoline is that going to take? And that's not suspicious at all. A bunch of billionaires doing quote unquote research in a floating lab. Come on. <laughs> It's so in our faces. I We definitely need to pause and look at what's the significance of Papua New Guinea because Papua New Guinea all of a sudden out of nowhere is making the world stage with its warring tribes. Now, I know a missionary that grew up there and he said they were always war. There's always that's always going on. But now it's like turned into this extravaganza out here where we're seeing craziness come out of there. So to me, it was like, okay, this hit the world stage. There's something bigger going on. Do you see something going on? What's the significance of it? I personally don't know if it's the location. I don't know if the earth is, you know, rich with certain minerals I think it's interesting, and I can't remember which Rockefeller it was, but there was one Rockefeller uh, at the beginning of the Explorers Club, actually, because he was out there on a mission, and somehow, magically, he mailed back certain artifacts, but then he does not come back, and the lore is that he was eaten by cannibals, and he was never seen again. I don't know what they're looking for out there, uh, but these people should not be trusted. With anything, ever. Anytime billionaires want to go to Papua New Guinea or Antarctica or the North Pole, it should give everyone pause because they're looking for something for a reason. And generally, these people are doing this simply to benefit themselves. Yeah, and, you know, the main red flags for me just growing up asking general questions that, I guess seem naive to people because I'd always get non-answers, but why can't normal people go to Antarctica outside of a tour? Because there's always those people like, well, you can go take a cruise there. Well, you can't just go there. And a lot of people have tried and you, the videos are out there where they're met with all the heavy military and you can, yeah. you can't just go wander around. Just like the yeah. ordinary person can't go setting off stuff into the sky. They're, you know, too high up, right? But all of a sudden the Musks can, you know, May Musk yeah. and her son Elon can just all of a sudden have the contracts with the world. Who are these people? And so, it's a matter of questioning what they're doing because in the end, Dana, it really is this tiny group of people giving the numbers that we're told are on uh, in the realm here. I mean, there are billion, like 8 billion of us or whatever, if that's true. And there's, you know, a thousand of, of these very elite people that seem to be calling the shots for everyone. This is suspect to me. And I think more people need to start understanding that there is something bigger going on. And it surprises me how, how few people really care. I agree. And I was actually talking to that. I was talking to that whistleblower about that earlier. It's, it's like, are people, uh, not willing to loosen the grip on their view of the world in order to see, unfortunately, it is an ugly truth, but it's an important truth because truth is the only thing that can stand the test of time. And anytime you see these, you know, whether people want to call them 
the global elite. They want to call them the deep state. You know, they want to name certain, I call them dynasty families, the the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, whoever. It doesn't matter. It is such a small faction of people that are willing and have over time, over and over again, destroyed generations through war. How many generations are unaccounted for? What's what's gone on in Africa since the assassination of Patrice Lumumba by our CIA? You know, that's been just perpetual hell for those people, and they will never tell us what's going on there. And there's there is always a bigger plan at play. And it's there's a difference between, you know, a conspiracy theory and a conspiracy, and this all of this is a conspiracy and people like to write it off. And I don't really know why, because, you know, Henry Kissinger wrote that report uh, a couple decades ago, you know, where he's calling for, it is a depopulation plan. Yeah. And that is part of the United Nations record. I don't, I don't understand why that shocks people. Uh, we, as, as some memes say out there, uh, you are the CO2 that they want to eliminate. And yeah. that is just a fact. Yeah. And it's just the last few days I've been seeing this stuff with Bill Gates and the trees. Have you seen any of that? I have not, but tell me what it is because I won't be surprised, but I'm curious. (laughs) Nothing surprises me with Billy Gates. So they're now saying it's hitting the rounds. Like I said, when... I asked you if you'd heard because I don't know what the receipts are here, but there's him talking. And at this point, I'm so suspicious of everything right now because of deep fakes and and digital twinning and all the stuff that's going on. But this does hold in line with his general character. So just on a character uh, hinge, I bring it up. So he's saying that you know, 70 million, they want 70 million acres here in the United States. They're thinning the the forests out. And so not using the trees, but burying the trees in the wood because of climate change and the whole carbon thing, right? And so this is what's got all of the, I guess, truthers, if you will, or all the people that are following stuff percolating. And I just, I saw it last night or today, and it sounds exactly like him saying it. It sounds like something he would say. And then, of course, we are tracking the records that he does and has been buying and owning a lot of American property along with property in other places but you know he's buying up farmland left and right so this started to look to me and bear with me here dana it started to look to me very tolkien and this is where it gets i'm a little woo woo here but it's (laughs) it's like it starts to look like the building the orc army and how they have to tear down all the trees tearing down the trees is part of it And as I sit here in the Pacific Northwest, in a house that I've been in for over a decade, it looks like winter out. My sycamore trees all got yellow and the leaves fell off in July. And uh, many, many trees just dropped their leaves here in, in late July, early 
September. This is an October, November situation. Hello, fall colors. And to me, it's a radiation event. I've seen the effects of radiation. I feel like radiation's at play here. My sycamores didn't even turn this red they usually do. They just went yellow and dead. And all the other things that I could go on and on. I'm not going to. But things aren't right. And this is not climate change. This is actually a, a form of electronic warfare in my personal opinion from the information i'm starting to see from other deep researchers like yourself that have receipts for the electronic warfare idea out here which is what led me and meredith a little bit to you what i'm seeing is there's a big connection here which looks like a depopulation situation not a big deal for you and i to see that because we're swimming in this stuff, but do you see the validity of that? And are you noticing these kinds of changes? Oh, absolutely. So I am uh, very fortunate to be with a group of researchers who, you know, I, I contribute my part, but some of them focus specifically on what you're talking about and they do some fantastic work. Um, and yes, absolutely. There's even podcasts out there where you have, uh, you know, some DARPA executives coming on and literally talking about how, oh, have you ever been walking down the sidewalk and you suddenly get a really good idea? That could be one of us. We have a remote um, and we are able to use this through, you know, these various, uh, you know, what we would think of as street lights or, you know, different types of electricity poles. And they make it sound cool. So that's how they sell the public on that aspect of it. And they don't talk about the other stuff. Because no, this isn't climate change. You know, they come on TV and they go on the news, you know, the, the meteorology weather report and talk about, oh, cloud seeding. And it's like, yeah, this isn't funny, guys. None of this is funny. Just like how, you know, the whole MK Ultra is kind of presented as this sort of trippy, cool thing. When you really get down into the nitty gritty of it, none of this stuff is funny. And it needs to start being evaluated with a critical eye. Because, again, the reality is, is that they can simply flip a switch and the Internet's off. And that would be that. And the thing is, they could blame it on any kind of contrived weather event, and and it would be the Internet's off for the folk, not them. And that's Correct. the thing that's happening here. And, and people, when I first started to bring the idea of so solid light and Li-Fi and stuff, people had no idea what I was talking about, yet we're showing them the papers, the actual websites, or, you know, when the, the whole agenda behind, uh, lead paint and asbestos and LEDs and getting rid of fluorescent, like all of it is so connected. And this is why the work of looking back is important to see how we got here because here we are. And I think everyone realizes now something big is going down. But how did we get here? So when we track back, so let's track back with some of the research you've been doing. Let's go back to 1947 and uh, let's look at Jack Parsons again. And let's look at what was going on in the world around all that with the Babylon working in particular. But I want to now throw in 
the biggest card that is on the table in the collective right now, if you're watching it, they are really amping this up, are the UFO connection. And uh, that's amped up hardcore right now. And what we see in the collective is 1947 was that big Roswell experience. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, we started having cattle mutilizations. And I keep wanting to point to Elizabeth Short in LA as an, a human mutilation, AKA known as the Black Dahlia, who's completely tied into all this. And if anyone does any digging on that, they'll see the people she was hanging around. She's completely tied into all this. So what do you see there? Because they are, you know, the government's now said their ETs, their tech is advanced and with the sitting Congress, just a, whatever, six weeks ago. And we can't protect ourselves from us. They mean us, you know, harm, etc. So they're playing it, Dana. They're playing this card. Here's, and I'll, and I'll just be honest. My thing with the aliens, the UFOs, UAPs, um, people, and I'm speaking in generalities and not assuming anyone's, uh, you know, knowledge level or anything like that, but they're, they're creating fear for those who are not willing to look back because when people ask me and I'm not talking about you I mean like people will bombard my Instagram will you look at this will you do a video on this and I'm like this isn't a DJ booth I'm not taking requests but as far as the alien stuff and the UFOs that I'm like guys we need to figure out what's going on here <laughs> they're they're doing that for a reason but if we can't talk if we can't figure out how we got here then we we sh- that's that's not my focus point but i know that there is a so many talented and smart people who are so well versed in that and you know so it was it's interesting that you bring that up because you know the false memory syndrome foundation actually ties into ufos strangely enough yes um because one of their early publications talks about how uh, UFO sightings are more credible than child abuse by parents. <laughs> they put that in writing. And I'm like, that is just completely insane to me. And then the narrative around Betty and Barney Hill and how, you know, they originally thought that it was the military that came that kidnapped them. And then she gets hypnotized. And does quote-unquote therapy. And now she's having these uh, memories of these, you know, these aliens and all of this other stuff. And they were the first interracial couple, like, that was publicly known. So that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, and see, this is the reason why, because I know your stance on the UFO thing is like a thing. And this is why I keep saying they're playing this card. It's a misdirect. And it's a major misdirect. And it's so obvious when you start to dig at it a little bit. And it ties totally into hypnotism, into... I mean, no disrespect out there to anyone. I'm not looking for enemies or anything. But, it, you know, people that go in and do 
hypnotic regressions and stuff like this, the Dolores Cannon stuff. Um, I think we just need to question implantation of memories, especially when one's in a state of vulnerability. And these organizations, including the Monroe, you know, the gateway process and all this. And these, these figures are all tied in together. And this is, I think what people don't understand that even with the Epstein and Maxwell stuff, they only wanted to go so far. So the stuff that gets planted is a place for most people to feel satisfied with that answer. And again, this is Hegelian, right? And so here are people like you going, wait a minute, this, how do we get over into this part when we've, we've got all this, <laughs> all this information right here to look at? And that's, that's my point of bringing this into the conversation. These misdirects are happening at certain times in a big way. The Betty, I love that you brought up Betty and Barney Hill because that was a major one and it did bring in interracial um, realness into the realm. It was a big deal. And that story, of course, is one of the most famous. And, you know, they were hypnotized. We need to question this. We need to question whose hands they get into and where these all of a sudden newfound memories come up while looking. And this is why I wanted to look back because they did murder Jack Parsons. What did he know? What did he know? And why is he so tied into, into Roswell when we're talking about jet propulsion and the stuff he's working on. Why is that narrative hard to pull away from him when you start digging? It's there for a reason. What were we looking at? We're looking at something in the sky that wasn't our, allegedly ours, and it changed up the whole collective. And all of a sudden, then we have, of course, all the camp around it, right? Everything in sci-fi the fun campy sci-fi is you know planet nine and and all the you know giant spiders from mars and all that stuff that came through and then of course the war of the worlds from hg wells you know the battle over la and stuff where that was a known hoax i mean he did that to see as a template to see how people would respond and it got a massive collective response an electrical response and this is why it's important not that there's anything actually out there and i actually question what in the hell is space to begin with because i personally can't believe nasa for anything and i don't know i'm not saying one way or another but i need some more real math and real evidence or something i haven't been up there so i don't know do you see where I'm going with all this? Absolutely. And I think that you bring up some really great points as far as it being a misdirection from day one. In my personal opinion, when I was reading through Jack Parsons' FBI files and Frank Molina's and Anton LaVey's, I am personally of the opinion because 
what happened? So, you know, Parsons wants to go and he's seeking employment in Israel. Obviously, he's murdered before that can happen. I think it's very strange that Frank Molina runs over specifically to UNESCO and that's just where he lands. Um, now, where does Anton LaVey tie into all of this? Obviously, LaVey was a Crowleyite. But not too long after this, what we have is, and I can't remember the name of the book, but LaVey's wife, it's the authorized, you know, biography that she penned for him, where she's talking about his ties with, unfortunately, um, the, the Haganah. And what happened and this is also documented because there was a massive lawsuit against the CIA, specifically over a FOIA request. Um, and I pull it up in that video. But what had happened is during the Bay of Pigs, there were a ton of nuclear weapons, nuclear armament that we were hiding there to give to the Haganah to, you know, uh, weaponize for them to uh, begin, I guess, whoever started it, I'm not saying one way or the other, but the never-ending issues uh, between Israel and Palestine, because that is, uh, you know, what happened with the Haganah. So I think that the Parsons' death, while it was a perfect crux to distract and, you know, sort of test the public tolerance and see what people are willing to believe or fear at the end of the day they had their actual motives and i think that that was all a massive misdirection from the storage of nuclear weapons to be given to the haganah during the bay of pigs but that's just my personal opinion that's how real science is done though you look at all the facts and then you start making hypotheses and then you start testing them. I and mean, people forget how science works. <laughs> yeah. Don't just trust the science, right? <laughs> so, yeah. right. And so this is what I'm seeing. And that's why I, I threw in mutilizations. And that's why I think Elizabeth Short is a big deal that is totally overlooked historically. And it's got the, all the narratives around her are just crazy, but all the pieces are there. And we're talking these mutilizations aren't happening from Mars people, you know, they're happening by our own. And, and we're, we can look at the, and it's just a key phrase, but the mangala of it all. Right. And sure. all that. And then it's the gaff. It's the psychological gaff that is um, played to the public that you know, there's something mysterious going on here. And is it, is it these things from far away? And when we look at and we can see for the longest time, this idea of adrenochrome was laughed at, but there's historical context in what it is. And it doesn't need to be more than what it actually is. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be more, but of course it, it turns into more and that's where the people, normal people are like, oh my God. And so when we're looking at brain wiping, memory wiping, when we're looking at created narrative and assets, CIA, FBI, and God knows what other ones are out there, this is where I start to get very interested in how long is 
an asset in an organization. So we we're talking about Leah Rimini earlier, and um, and others, but and so here we are with misdirection, and you see where I'm going with this connection here. How long are implants in social circles, in scenes like the process, and all that, and? This is the thing that starts, I think, bringing out the idea of the real paranoid researchers because I know when I start putting this stuff together, and I do not 100% believe in coincidence when we look at things that start popping up more than twice. If you got a yep. three hitter, you are, this is not, there's just no way. And so I don't believe in that anymore. And there was a time probably in my life I was, probably did, you know, I don't know because it's, I, you know, I'm where I'm at now. So the importance of these pretenders, as they used to say back in the day in the Middle Ages, uh, that would get put into bloodlines and stuff. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about the assets, the pretenders, the usurpers. So specifically, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stick with you know what you brought up because it's all very fresh in my mind so we have Scientology right and then we have the process church which comes out of Scientology and today you know I was able to definitively tie the process to intelligence and I was very excited um but the process the narrative around them and it's all a disinformation campaign but they kind of fell away, even though they were all over the world and they were very wealthy and no one can tell you where that money's coming from. So isn't that kind of weird? Because they wanted to buy an island in the Bahamas and they had the means to do so. However, they end up dissolving after trying, you know, different names and trying to make it a little more, uh, you know, Christianity, mainstream Christianity friendly, because they did worship four deities. It was a lot of relativism as far as that goes. But in 1984, this is when they changed to the Best Friends Animal Society. And they buy, I think in the beginning, they bought 3,000 acres in Kanab, Utah. Now, the land that they bought is very significant because this land is where people have been hunting for Montezuma's gold. And there have been a lot of strange deaths in regards to people hunting for Montezuma's gold. So now no one can access that. And with the best friends, you have about half of the remaining process founding members who started and are still there at the Best Friends Animal Society. And they just flat out deny that the process existed or they pretend it didn't happen. And for those who don't know, the process also had a very specific sort of theology about dogs and that dogs had psychic powers that could predict the apocalypse. But they also found dogs as viable for sacrifices. So they not only worshipped, but they used them for sacrifices. Now, why do I point this part out? Because as you really dig into the Best Friends Animal Society, they specifically lock in contracts. And I'm talking thousands and thousands of dogs with county shelters. 
because they state that their goal is no kill, which sounds great in theory. But if it sounds too good to be true, I like to remind people it usually is because there's always a give and take. It's never just getting the good side of things. So what we've seen over eh, roughly the past seven, six, seven years, they have had so many lawsuits about dogs that could not be rehomed or shouldn't be in certain homes. The horrific mauling of children, quite a few. Uh, killing of other dogs or mauling of other dogs, mauling of elderly and a couple of the uh, employees that they only hire out of state specifically. They have very strange hiring practices as well. Um, my sort of conspiracy, and I will say that because I can't necessarily uh, prove it, but it doesn't make sense, is a lot of those dogs cannot get rehomed. And I've shown pictures of their cemetery on their property, and it's completely insane. And each one has a very specific, well-put-together uh, grave or burial site. So it's very bizarre. There's something very wrong going on there. And they make so much money. I think it was 2019. That's the only one I can think of right now. They raked in $91 million, I think it was. Half of that went to like their pensions and their paychecks Jesus. and insurance. Wow. They also own two private planes. It's just very weird. And they have like a two-star rating on Charity Navigator. <laughs> so are they really helping? I don't know. Now, as far as Leah Remini specifically because I have very strong feelings about her and Mike Rinder of the Scientology, the aftermath show. Let me back up for a second because there is nepotism within the original founding process members. And it doesn't really seem that anything has changed. They've just changed the name and the process church was Scientology. They were auditing people. They had the e-meter they changed the name to the P-meter, I'm assuming, for the process. Uh, but it is Scientology mixed in with this sort of for deity, you know, pseudo-theology. That's what it is. So, I find it very strange that Leah Remini has the Best Friends Animal Society as, I think, the number two charity listed on her website. I think that that's very weird. There's also some other significant names within the ex-Scientology community who I have receipts that I'm saving for a rainy day of these individuals funding the Best Friends Animal Society. An interesting thing to note in regards to these uh, assets, as you call them, and I think that that's an appropriate term because whether you want to call them controlled opposition assets, I think that that's fair, is, again, these specific people that I'm talking to who once I was able to see what they had been keeping behind paywalls because people were trying to have their stuff taken down. And these individuals are literally living out of their car and they're elderly. And one of them is a veteran. 
is these are the real whistleblowers. So the things that are presented on that show, the, the you know, I say quote unquote crimes, the things that they talk about, they're hiding a lot. And I can prove it. There's proof. It's just been extremely, extremely censored. And I find that the importance of all of this is, in my opinion, I think that Leah Remini and Mike Rinder have done a fantastic job doing a massive disinformation campaign to the public by presenting Scientology as this sort of spooky cult. And they want to take all of your money and maybe separate your family. And instead, what we have is L. Ron Hubbard with very specific CIA ties, British intelligence ties. We have ties directly with the Process Church, as well as the, uh, I think it's the One Word Tarot. That was the cult that John Stark Cook started. Uh, you know, you got William S. Burroughs. You've got so many ties into that. And that information has been hidden because it's these whistleblowers who have brought this information forward. It wasn't around before then. They pretty much spent their life savings trying to get this documentation together over the past two decades so that people can see the truth of what's going on. And one of these whistleblowers is, and obviously the individual that, you know, uh, ended up going back and working for the church and abandoning them, doctored some of the videos, and it's quite obvious. But the Lisa McPherson death that occurred not too far from where I am, which is a well-known sort of Scientology crime, this is recorded video from that deposition specifically of the actual stuff that's going on, that was going on at that time from the church's uh, OSA, Office of Special Affairs, which is their CIA. So everything that you see on TV, that is not the half of it. And Leah, Leah Remini and Mike Rinder know that because Mike Rinder was running the Office of Special Affairs. There is so much darkness and injustice. It makes me very emotional because I have a soft spot for the elderly and I have a soft spot for kids. And the things that have not been brought to light uh, to benefit certain people and keep their place in the sun, uh, it just completely drives me insane. Yeah, I'm with you. And what we're seeing right now, not to get off on a left turn here, especially in certain states like Oregon and in Canada with the MAID system is this real, and in I think Paris now, this easy get rid of the elderly and the disenfranchised yeah. people. And, and it's being offered straight up when people are reaching out for help and they're saying basically – we have you can kill yourself through our system well it's like it's like soylent green movie go in check in what kind of movie you want you know i mean they make it yeah. sound so great but what we see it is what it is and so i wanted to get down here to this the why of it why dana why is all this actually happening what is at the core of this? Do you have an idea? And I know this is asking you to hypothesize here, but you yeah. must have a gut feeling as to the why of this. 
my opinion, my hypothesis, which is, you know, now my mission is, and this actually goes back to, uh, you know, the war machine and specifically Vietnam, uh, because, you know, as most people know, you know, that was something that we should never have done. That was a failed coup and truly um, just a stain on our country as a whole, in my opinion. Um, and not to the veterans. I love my Vietnam veterans. I work with a lot of them in the hospital. But in my opinion, the huge emergence of cults around that time, and I am trying to lay out the argument that as we see all of these cults are actually an intelligence operation, and think of the ramifications of that, because a lot of cults turn into a religion. And so this is people's worldview. This is their view of their eternity or whatever concept of it that that may be. So if that's an intelligence operation to distract people because they're scared, because you're dragging them into another war, this, this is their golden goose, in my opinion, because what are we told about every single action from the government? It's it's in the name of national security. We can't tell you this because of national security. And we have to send billions of dollars to XYZ for national security. That's been the argument since the birth of the CIA. And, you know, God knows what they were doing with the OSS. But that has been the reason since the birth of that agency. And I think personally that the exposure of cults as not only a method of control, but as a method of distraction from the war machine, I think that that is the most solid argument for the abolishment of intelligence as a whole. But that's my opinion, because I think it's completely disgusting. And I think that that is enough to uh, sort of get everybody on board. Because I mean, just the ramifications of so many religions, churches, cults, whatever you want to call it, that is damning. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. And one of the things I've had my eye on recently, and I like that you brought this up, the cults idea. And I've been using the word a lot because it's become very, very clear to me in the last year, especially that a lot of these big time social influencers, big time YouTubers and Instagram folk and all this alt stuff, I seeing cults around them. You know, they'll be like nothing yep. and then all of a sudden there are five million people following them. And yep. I'm not gonna name names. I want to so bad and every time I'm like, I'm not gonna <laughs> I have here and there. I just don't need, they're dangerous, first of all. So yep. I want to talk about that for a minute because what we're looking at historically and the stuff you've been uncovering through all your wonderful research is stuff that's actually ongoing and creating a new form because now we have a new form. The old media people have turned away from, they know it's all bullshit and uh, people are starting to realize like, Oh, NASA's lying to us about everything. And the FDA is lying to us. And, and the, the general government is, you know, what's going on with all this. And so 
it's been the rise of the social influencer. And as I was saying in the last year, I've seen many of some of these OG ones, if you will, uh, all of a sudden, you know, they're talking about this and that for years and years. It's their bread and butter, right? Because these people are doing it for money. And I think that's no secret to a lot of people. And some people have really exposed how a lot of these bigger name ones are personally. And it's, you know, it's lights, camera, action. And so in the last year, but really the last, since the lockdown situation, so many of them have shown their true colors because they spent their careers, the the more OG ones, saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then when some of this stuff started to happen, they're singing the same song, Mockingbird, all the way. And then now, recently, we've had several pop up out of obscurity with very shady past, very, very shady past in prisons for child stuff and and um just kind of popping up out of nowhere and then narratives from some of these people that all of a sudden you find out this person that everyone loves for their zinger lines and feel good lines has this history of beating women and uh, pedophilia and all this and they're big names and people are following them and they're kicking the can down the road while they're collecting money all the way, kicking the the responsibility. And this is where I want to get your opinion on, because ultimately, cults is the name of the game. Process, we could just, they're all cults. And uh, how do you see these modern cults? Do you recognize, are you seeing them like I'm seeing them? And the patterning is the same as if we look back at Jim Jones. It's the same as when you start looking at the process and the bigger named ones that you're getting into. I see this as the same charismatic characters with all the assets around and all of a sudden all the money to all of a sudden be everywhere and people are following them. I just, you know, I know this is about thought, your opinion, and we'll just make that clear. But, girl, I'm seeing them, and they're dangerous. Absolutely. And I think that this, I mean, obviously, you know, my first point would be uh, the ex-Scientology community. They, I have torn apart their tax records, uh, specifically some YouTube channels, and they just duck, deny, cover. Um, officially, we've been offered a lunch. I'm assuming it's to try and pay us off. I've also identified agent provocateurs within uh, our, you know, subscribers. Um, so that's some, you know, I would say low level into uh, low level intel ops since I've identified it. Um, but outside of that, I think too, uh, and I will state this just as I stated on my channel, I don't believe in politics. I don't think that they're real. Um, it's give them bread and circuses and they will be fine, right? They'll be distracted. Yep, but it's a prime time for the cult of personality and social media gives us that sort of uh, false sense of connection with these figures. And then you find out all of their very suspicious or just straight up shady or criminal backgrounds. 
But yes, I mean, I, I try to tell people, you know, politics or whatever it is, it, it, these things might feel real, but you have to step back and look at everyone with a critical eye, because if they are checking all of the boxes of things that you like, that's not normal. And it's not, especially for a, a stranger, you know, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram, whatever the case may be, uh, there's generally some sort of ulterior motive, whether it's acting as a disinformation agent, uh, whatever the case may be. And people that are sort of thriving in the sun, in the public eye, they are allowed to do so. There are no heroes. There's nobody coming to save anybody. That's, I mean, but this has been played out over time and this checks out over time. And so we won't really know for certain the results of this current time frame and milieu of the cult of personality via social media quite yet. But I believe that it will play out as it has every other time throughout history. Like with Jim Jones, that was the CIA operation. That's been proven. Um, you know, there's weird stuff with Heaven's Gate. Um, all, all these other types of cults, there's always weird intelligence ties. And anyone, I would say, be mindful because... That they are aware, and I say they as far as like the intelligence community specifically, they are using these forms of media that we all connect with and share information with. They will use it to their advantage. And that is why you see, you know, some like the silly sort of NPC TikTokers and they're making, you know, $10,000 a day getting people to pay them to do these silly little motions and make these weird noises. They're doing this stuff on purpose, period. It's hard not to roll your eyes, but it is actually dangerous. And this goes into the payoff of the stuff that was going on that started Back in the day, as we started this conversation with some of these agencies and wars that started to do the social engineering to get us here. Because look at, just like in the 1950s, when you see all the kids at the picnic table and they're spraying DDT on them, right? And yeah. it perfectly safe and, and the uranium uh, vamps and all this, you know, that were painting it on their teeth and all this stuff that is brain entrainment through subtle ways. And now that we know some of the ways and means of the music industry and how that was so heavily infiltrated, and that's all that's like the most lowest hanging fruit on on this tree really because everyone talks about that the most i think and uh, you know and certainly it should be talked about because it's there and it's in training our children <laughs> and and this I is agree. this is where we need to always talk is about our children because the survival of a species is about our children and so when we're killing off our elders, our beloved elders, and I, I'm with you on that. I was one of those kids that 
I just always loved the elders. I was always sitting there listening to the stories. I became intelligent by listening to the older people. That's why I became intelligent so early. I was listening to their stories. They were speaking to me like I was a person, and I was asking intelligent questions, and I was getting answers. And it's never changed for me. And so seeing how they're being targeted and what looked to me in this last major operation that's gone down, that's ongoing right now uh, with the depopulation agenda, it's mostly focusing on, you know, really 30-year-olds and above, but really Generation X and over. Uh, they need them off the table or working with them, right? It's always the contract. And the reason is because the elders that have had the time, that have been through it, like the ones you're talking about, like the ones I talk about, that have lost everything. A Vietnam vet that came back, did what they were supposed to do, and ended up being in the proverbial van by the river, and that's a common story, is is shunned, is... Uh, is put into buffoon land, not listened to, further tested when they get into the into the stuff that has happened through the VA, and there's a lot of shady shit there. Um, there is. And now they're just openly killing them through systems like MAID and stuff, and then experimental, experimental everything. We're in dire straits here, and... It does appear to be a very dark landscape moving forward, Dana, and I'm concerned about where this is all going. Where do you see this all going? Because you're looking in the past and how it's affected the present, and I know you can see projections of where this goes if it stays on track. I personally think that... You know, obviously, I'm making the argument that, you know, we need to have some sort of grasp of actual history to understand the now. However, I think that if we stay on course, as it were, uh, and I think that I think that there has been a sort of, you know, peeling back of the veil for a lot of people, a lot of people kind of figured out what was going on with this last operation as you call it and I think that's an appropriate term and I say that as an ICU nurse um, I think that's why we've seen such an emergence of the sort of uh, conspiracy theorists, uh, disinformation agents quite frankly especially online I think if people do not and I'm not saying people can't enjoy things at all people are allowed to enjoy what they like but engaging if we don't start engaging with the people around us trying to learn from each other maybe loosening that grip on the worldview uh trying to hear each other out ask questions question authority resist authority demand answers for why you are being told that or they're trying to force something no matter what it may be if these things do not take place, I think, in my opinion, that uh, I think that we're shown the whole concept of like a 15-minute city. 
I think that they show us that and it's going to be much worse than that. That is my opinion because when have they ever shown us something and the reality wasn't actually worse? So I think that, you know, thinning down the herd and whatever age groups they deem necessary. And I would point out because this is something that I was researching for a while. Epstein, before he passed away, was in the Bahamas, specifically working on a gifted kids AI program. And he was specifically targeting uh, kids that were on the spectrum or autistic because sometimes they have very good technical skills and mathematical skills. Uh, so the concept was that these kids were going to uh, create and then operate this online sort of academy, almost like the Khan Academy. Um, and this was going to involve something very similar to Elon Musk's Neuralink with kids, brain chips with kids. So these are the types of things that I think are coming, quite frankly. It doesn't take a lot to see that because of where we are and how, in the words of a lot of these people, in the words of Elon Musk, in the words of Bill Gates, and these are this is the these are the front people, you know, in the words of the WEF and all of that. I had this question I just realized in my notes, and it got somehow buried here. As we've been in this phenomenal conversation, by the way, just phenomenal. Yes, I agree. <laughs> what are your thoughts on, and I don't know why I'm stuttering saying this, because I shouldn't, because I've talked about them extensively, but what are your thoughts on the Mormon church? So not the people, but just that church. Now, you know the connections. Oh, man. So I I was doing so much research into the LDS specifically, and, and like you said, I, it's not the congregants at all. I think that the congregants are doing the right thing and operating within their belief system with good motivation. It's these people that are in power within those structures. There are so many bizarre Mormon LDS ties that, I mean, pick, pick something and name it. There's a current investigation going on. Uh, that, you know, involves individuals all the way out in Scotland. So from Scotland to Utah, um, I was talking with the attorney of the young man who is being blamed, and I think falsely, uh, very falsely so, and I think that I've been able to show that. Um, a satanic ritual abuse case involving a lot of Mormon elders, uh, and this goes back all the way to the late 80s. Coincidentally, around the same time that the Process Church moved to Kanab, Utah. And later on, because obviously it doesn't matter what religion or cult it is, you know, there's always these sorts of abuses in regards to children and elders or adults, and them obviously bringing other people in to facilitate this sort of network. Specifically, came out that the hotline to report the abuse within the church, they had rerouted that line 
to the lawyers that represent the Mormon church. So that those, those calls never got out to anybody. And that was all kept very hush-hush. I think the infiltration of LDS leaders within two high levels of government, uh, especially Mitt Romney with his venture capital firm. I mean, he's got ties with BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, all of them. And, you know, the whole stuff with Operation Underground Railroad and Tim Ballard. And then this satanic ritual abuse case, I've got Ballard and one of the guys named in that case, both in Ukraine, within days of each other. So there's a lot going on there. Oh, man, the webs. Have you looked into their ceremony, their long-held ceremony of the baptism of the dead? No, So I have not. That's a put that on your notepad and look into that. They try to sugarcoat it, and they I think they've renamed it now, but it, it's originally called the Baptism of the Dead. And um, when you start looking into that, you're going to see all the bells and whistles, all of it that goes back to a Babylon type setting and um, inner intergenerational uh, body hopping and all this stuff you just throw that i can't wait to see you know since you look into this stuff i'm interested and we'll talk about that later so i'm not gonna i don't want to i don't want to front load you so let's talk about because we've mentioned this a few times and i find that people don't understand the reality of what this is they get caught up in the sideshow of it in the bread and circus of it and so when we talk about satanism This is a big term, and there's a lot of different stuff. So as far as I'm concerned, like when you look at the modern-day COS, it's cosplayers in ill-fitting suits. and um, But when you look at the founding of what uh, Equino and LaVey were doing and and then their separation and the Temple of Set and all this other stuff, there's a different thing going on. And then, of course, there's all these types of Satanism. Now we've got the Temple of Satan and all this stuff. So when we talk about Satanic abuse, when you talk about it, what are you referring to? Specifically, I am referring to, and this ties into whether people want to call it MK Ultra or Monarch programming, but ritual abuse or satanic ritual abuse does tie in directly to that. It is very pivotal for, uh, you know, mind programming success. But satanic, the twist of that specifically, which is generally uh, observed in most ritual abuse cases, is... And I'm just going to use that Mormon case specifically because it's fresh in my mind. Uh, So I have about 200 pages of victim statements. And obviously, I won't go into all of the details. But there's one individual, and it frustrates me to no end because he is one of the most wealthy men (laughs) in the public eye. But uh, he would uh, put on a... Uh, skin suit that was not his so if you're picking up what i'm putting down and would violently assault in every way these children and they stated that per their words 
when they asked, you know, why uh, the wearing of a suit or, you know, certain bodily fluids, especially blood, um, these things in their mind bring them more power. Now, why children? Because that is the complete destruction of innocence. That is robbing someone of their innocence and giving them the power over that. But the sort of symbolism with the rituals involving certain things like I just described and obviously certain incantations, spells, whatever you would like to call them. Uh, at the end of the day, I wouldn't necessarily say it's all about uh, Lucifer or Satan or whatever people want to call it. It is simply about the power and control. But these individuals do engage in these things, and that is an element of it, unfortunately. I'm always trying to point this out because you and I are both gothy. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. um, <laughs> which I love seeing sister and anyway, yeah. um, and so usually the darkest of the dirtiest of the most appalling evil, non internal, non-human, I don't mean like an alien from wherever non-human as far as not like us, uh, people are in the suits they're in the uh they're hiding behind their three let the phd this and they've got a brooks mm -hmm. brothers suit on or you know a chanel outfit on maxwell's a good example right yes. she's high fashion and um those are the people that do the dirty deeds that's the look of this kind of satanic nastiness that is very very real the network is very large. It may be whittled down into private agencies and private this and that. But overall, this network is gigantic and it's, it's roots under the ground of the current collective consciousness are established and longstanding. And you said it best with robbing children of their innocence. You know, we need to think about, well, what is that? What is innocence? And what does that mean? And what does that mean in the perpetuation of a species moving into the future? And how does that play into getting one into an indoctrination system to perpetuate these abuses because a lot of times the abused become the abusers because of that kind of mind control, Stockholm-y, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into this. And then ultimately, if enough damage is done, there's this idea of, of total control and that to me is what it looks like we're coming into that it seems to have grown dana from maybe some incidents here and there in the that got out to the public to now they're all over a lot of and and back in the day i'm a gen xer back in the day even in my story when i tried to tell my story nobody believed me nobody until one of the main characters who was a famous artist went to jail for doing it 
to his own child. And then I never, of course, got any apologies, right? You never do. It's this kind of fuckery that perpetuates itself. Meanwhile, everyone's watching Leave it to Beaver and believing in that reality or, you know, the Cosbys and believing in that reality and whatever it is now in their VR headsets, in their augmented reality, because now technology is taking this a step further. Our feet are a step further in hell. Now, because of digital twinning and because of brain entrainment with all the technology from light and sound technology and what the hell's going on with the poisoning of everything around us, our food, our air, our water. And this becomes a bigger picture and this bigger picture is looking grim. And those of us that are standing up here saying, wait, we've got to find some sort of sanctuary for our children because we are nothing without them. We are nothing without them. And they're taking them away from the custodianship of their their parents. And okay. and there, there's a separation going on here. Now your child is not your child. It's a child of the state. Well, what does that sound like? Okay. And here we are. And this is what it concerns me is that it feels like we're really this far down in the inferno, you know, using the Dante's model. Like it's, I feels like we're actually out of purgatorio and we're actually descending into the rings of hell. And this is where I can get a little dark, but I'm just trying to be honest and I'm trying to not have my head in the sand as we get deeper into a control grid and here we are and they're throwing another whole bunch of scary stuff at us with hemorrhagic fever and, and masking up again. And they desensitized everyone with the first run and uh, pinpointed out the people that were questioning the narrative. So what's going to go on there? And it just is almost unbelievable. Everything's uncanny, Dana. I agree. I agree completely. And I'm glad that you pointed out, you know, the uh, custodian, you know, custody of the state, award of the state. I would highly encourage anybody that is on Twitter to follow Megan Walsh. Uh, that is John Walsh's daughter. Uh, that John Walsh, gosh, what was that show? America's, was it America's Most Wanted? I think it was America's Most Wanted. Yeah. The story that we have been told our entire lives uh, of Mr. Walsh is a complete fallacy. Um, and you can see Megan's story and also what happened to her young baby brother, Adam Walsh. They are weaponizing the family court system. And this is a key element. And actually, I'll bring this up. I'll finish this in a second. But this is interesting because the one time that I was really getting into this on a stream. As soon as I said the words DCYF and CPS, my friend who's a whistleblower there who was watching my stream and me, my laptop completely shut down and their cell phone stopped working. Is it a coincidence? Maybe. I don't know. But this structure of DCYF, Family Court, and Child Protective Services, this is being weaponized against people to further take control of people's children. That's not a conspiracy theory. This is just a fact. There are so many whistleblowers out there talking about this. And this is the system that they are using. I think it was in, 
I believe it was in May, it might have been April. So, you know, previously I had had, you know, my main following on Instagram and I shared the, I believe her name is Tara Rodas and she was the whistleblower for HHS and she's on TV talking about how we are the middleman in a global child trafficking ring talking about what's going on at the borders and there hasn't been a peep out of anybody since now in my personal opinion yes that is going on but there's also been this massive spike with what's been going on in child protective services and family court and i had you know really gotten into the thick of it when i was doing this mormon satanic ritual abuse case because that deeply involves an individual who was a whistleblower, who was a page boy in Rhode Island, and brought to a federal court a lawsuit against Florida, Rhode Island, Nevada, and I believe Utah, specifically documenting. And there were 16 state representatives that were in that court that testified for him in agreement that they had seen it that there is a called night to night movement where they are trafficking children through that, through DCYF and child protective services. That was in 2011. That got hush hush kind of closed, you know, taken care of behind closed doors. And the details of his involvement and how this all got pinned on him is very complicated. However, the point still stands. That is a matter of court record. This is what they are doing. This is part of what they are hiding because this is their bread and butter, unfortunately. And yes, you're absolutely right. This is the depths of hell. This is the worst of the worst. But I tell people, if we are not willing to start standing up and questioning these things and demanding answers to protect children and the elderly, then we do not deserve to survive as a society. I truly believe that we don't deserve to. I'm so with you. I couldn't agree more. And here we are wrapping up the two hours that went fast. And there's so much. You're so intelligent. How are you? This has been great. (laughs) It's been, I'm so pleasantly surprised when I, I actually can't look away now because I see if you're live or something, I'm, I'm checking and I'm working. I'm just so, I'm, I'm just thrilled you're out there. And again, you're under the radar and my show's under the radar. I refuse to pull up to any of that stuff. And I'm sure I've, we've had the same back end problems. You've mentioned some of them with some scary, nefarious people. This is what rings true. And I hear it in you and I see it in you. And your research is deep and you're real and you're a warrior. And we need more of you out there. This is how you do something. I think people get very lost in the idea of what to do. And one of the things about what to do is start asking questions and actually doing the work and listen and be aware, just be aware that the world is not what you think it is. That's part of this whole process that maybe the people you thought you could trust you can't trust just because they're in a, in that suit or in that uniform. And so that's the, exactly, uh, they are influencing you. You love that TikTok, right? And so it's, we need to stay frosty. And the deeper into this we go, the frostier we need to be. I want to thank you 
from the bottom of my heart because this has been just, as I said earlier, a phenomenal conversation. And on that note, how do people find you in the world? How do they get a hold of you, etc.? What are all your details? Well, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because I was also very pleasantly surprised. This was great. <laughs> People can find me, as you said. I am Rotting Jewels. That's on Instagram and YouTube. And in my profile, you will see my link tree that has uh, my Twitter, which is Dana Duda. But that'll provide my other social media links. And preferably, um, if you would like to reach out to me, because the ex-Scientology community has doxed me, I don't give out any sort of contact, but you can reach me on Twitter or Instagram. Thank you so much, Dana, from Rotting Jewels. Everyone, please check out the amazing work this woman. And in, you've got on your link tree, too, um, connections with others. Fantastic. Carry on, carry on, carry on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And everyone, will see you on the next show. And there she goes, Dana from Rotting Jewels. What a fantastic chat and introduction into the world of a real deep researcher and scholar, a very intelligent woman who knows how to put the dots together and present it to you in a cohesive way. I hope to have more chats with Dana because... This is the kind of woman I can get behind. This is the kind of methodology that one can stand upon. And so I want to thank the producers of this show. Cassie, Claire Cathcart, Denise Bissell, Eggtooth, Liz Radican, Eric Peterson, Heather. Jake James Vanek, Kate Kukulkan, Carrie, Laura Dunn, Leela Marie, Louise B., Marcy Shapiro, Mark Betcher, Melanie Poe, Mia Bell, Myra, Neil McNaughton, Noelle Jeanette, Pamela Holdall, Rod Knight, Sarah Etta Eckrich, Stephen Mercer, Susan Miller, Wise Night Owl, and always Lady Babs. I want to thank all the other patrons that come to the Speakeasy and all of you out there that come to the Speakeasy and spend your time. Thank you for being with us. The dreamer loves the dream. The dreamer feeds the dream. The dreamer awakens within the dream.